This is Let's Go Michigan with Jeff Sloan on 760 WJR. Your bird's eye view on Michigan's business and entertainment scene. Here's Jeff. All right, welcome to Let's Go Michigan. Kristen Kajawa, Mark Pastoria here with me as always co-hosting the show. It's winter in Michigan. Snow, cold, polar vortex bearing down on us. Going to bring temperatures into the single digits and barely into the double digits like Finally. Teens. Well, Finally. Well, we don't need a polar vortex. Well, but Just it's kind of fun to say, though. It's kind of fun to say, but it's going a bit too far, actually. Okay. I mean, I love the winter in Michigan. I'm glad we're getting some of it. We haven't been getting any of it, mm-hmm. as we've discussed before, but we are now. Boy, that's for sure. Cold weather here and snow as well. All right, guys. So our job here on this show is to bring content of interest and relevancy to Michiganders. Well, kicking things off, we've actually done some interviews on this, and this relates to population growth here in the state of Michigan and how important it is to ensure that our population grows, that there's a net growth of population here in the state. Of course, in any given year, some people leave for whatever reason. That's cool. The idea, though, is you got to bring in more people than those who are departing. How are we doing? Well, studies show, frankly, not so well. We tend to have a uh, population drain. We've actually been in a negative circumstance when it comes to population growth for much of the last few years, decades, there was a recent study that showed that Michigan, I believe, was number 49 out of 50 states in one study in population growth. Well, news now comes from a study just released by U-Haul that shows that actually maybe things are improving at least slightly when it comes to population migration. The U-Haul study indicates that in 2023, in the U-Haul index anyway, we've jumped up a couple of places. They had us at 48 in 2022, when it comes to population growth, they now have us at 46. So we'll take it. Slow and steady. I mean, it's going in the right direction. And Jeff, that campaign just kicked off. Basically, in fourth quarter of last year, that You Can in Michigan campaign. Absolutely. It just started. So yes. we got to give it a little time. I mean, think about the Pure Michigan campaign. It didn't happen overnight. That's I mean, it absolutely was a slow right. rollout. Okay, so. we'll take it. As you said, we're heading in the right direction. We'll take any positive, even incremental movement in that positive direction that we can. Now, just for benchmarking's sake, for the third consecutive year, as a point of interest, Texas has topped the list with the largest net number of one-way movers, that being into the state. At number two is Florida. If you're curious, ranking lower than Michigan, of course, Michigan again at number 46 on the list, ranking lower than Michigan in people moving out of the state is New Jersey, Illinois, Massachusetts, and California respectively. Now, California netted the largest loss of one-way movers, of course, again, that being out of the state for the fourth year in a row. Interesting. You wouldn't expect California. I would. Who can afford to live well, there? Well, that's true. Lately, if you really look more, if, right. you, if you look more deeply into it, right, you know, the cost of living Is there, a lot of political and even state governance issues that are kind of rubbing people the wrong way yeah. in California. Here in the state of Michigan, as you look deeper into the detail, and of course, U-Haul is uniquely equipped to provide data on this kind of thing because they're the ones that rent the U-Haul trucks that right. either head into the state or head out of the state. And so they're able to really compile this data based on who's renting and which way they're headed in or out. So they do provide a breakdown of some of the net gain markets in the state of Michigan. Those include Grand Rapids, Farmington Hills, Sterling Heights, Hamtramck, Muskegon, Saginaw, Holland, Wyoming, and Brighton. Also, Rockford, Kalamazoo, Flint, and St. Clair Shores. Flint, 
my good old beloved city of Flint. Of course, that's where it's I have my roots. Making a comeback. Making a comeback. Boy, and it, by the way, it really is. Of course, Flint has a great cultural center. It's got the University of Michigan branch there. Uh, Flint's a, it's actually a pretty cool town. Check it out. If you haven't been there, even better move there. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> okay. All right. Now, listen, Kristen, you mentioned Governor Whitmer. She has already taken action, as you alluded to, to address the population growth issue. But we know that she's going to continue to do that, probably mentioning it, just a speculation, but probably focusing on it in her upcoming State of the State. And speaking of that, which takes place toward the end of January, she's just announced an art contest for students. If you've got a creative in the family, this contest kind of revolves around being challenged to come up with the best program cover for her State of the State address. The theme is a classic Michigan story. So that's pretty cool. That's so cute. Yeah. Very cute. I love that when kids can get involved. I love that. And I applaud her for recognizing that part of being a great place to live and raise a family is supporting the arts and creating a great and diverse culture here. It's a really cool thing. Now, submissions will be accepted exclusively through the online system. They must be received no later than midnight on Sunday, January 14th. Governor Whitmer had this to say about the program. What makes our state strong are the people that live here. And I'm delighted. She's delighted to share a student artwork contest on the 2024 State of the State program that highlights what they see as Michigan's strengths. Very cool. Yep. You can go to michigan.gov backslash art contest. Thank you. All right, guys. So in closing of our first segment here in this show, I just wanted to touch on something. Read an interesting article in Scientific American. This has to do with trash talking. Believe it or not, been around forever. You know what it is. You know what trash talking is. All right. Well, let's cover trash talking for just a minute, shall we? Now, I thought this was interesting. Of course, we've been highly focused on our football teams here. Yeah. Certainly when it comes to the University of Michigan anyway, been a lot of trash talking lately. But it goes beyond that in interpersonal relationships. First, they define kind of what trash talking is. I'm sure probably haven't put a lot of thought into it. But there's probably been times where you've heard someone trash talk somebody else or trash talk a program where you've actually got your cockles up a bit. Is that that, that an appropriate way to say that? Sure. Okay. So, yeah, it kind of gets you disturbed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even squeamish when you hear trash talking done by someone towards someone else. All right, trash talking, the art of slinging insults, is perhaps most pervasive in sports, as we know, where athletes deploy their best taunting tactics in an attempt to deflate their opponent and gain an advantage. So it isn't just out of, you know, some kind of emotional eruption of some kind where I'm going to call you a name. psychological mind game. It's part of the whole shtick. I think that is also part of a former president's game plan. Not that I'm going to name any names. So interesting that you say that because the article goes on to highlight the fact that one of our great trash talkers today is a gentleman, if you Mm -hmm. will, by the name of Donald Trump. Hmm. I assume that's who you're referring to. That is exactly who I was referring right. to. <laughs> and boy, does he know how to trash talk. Well, trash talking, just so you know, as I got more and more deeply into the article, originally trash talking, I mean, it's been around forever. Originally, it played a role in creating tribal bonds. It has very clear applications in creating a sense of us versus them. So it has a way of making it very clear where the lines are drawn when you do this kind of trash talking. That's for sure. The whole idea behind it in this context is you're enforcing who we are versus who they are. And so it's utilized in that way or has been throughout history. Of course, today it's taken on a whole new level, gotten a little dirty. That's when I mentioned the word squeamish. That's when it goes from 
you know, kind of being just something you might say, well, it's just part of sports or maybe that's just part of politics. But it actually can get kind of dirty and it can create stress. And so we need to know how to deal with it. Now, science has shown that when you're in the midst, when you're on the receiving end and even on the end of someone delivering it, your heart rate goes up when you're trash talking. You start the very active trash talking and your heart starts pumping faster, adrenaline starts kicking in, all these things kind of leading to a stress condition. And that's why, by the way, in sports, it can be so effective because it can get you off your game. Isn't that one of the many goals of trash talking? Exactly. Is to throw the other person off in some way or the other team or the other group of people. Exactly. So mm-hmm. in closing, all I've got to say is, Kristen, yeah. the color of your top and your outfit today just doesn't match the color of your skirt. <laughs> so, and Mark. That, wait, that's your best trash talk? I don't yeah, think. that's bad. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's hear you dish some up. I got not, well, you got um, anything for me? Uh, this nothing, is your chance. Nothing asked, I can say I've on the radio. For it. I've yeah. asked for it. I've given you the green light. Mark, you never trash talk anybody. I don't like trash talk. You don't like no, it. You I'm know not. something? I don't like it either. My little example probably wasn't, as yeah. you say, Kristen, yeah. that's all I got. Yeah. I'm not a real trash talker. How about you? I love trash talking. Oh, How geez. did we know? <laughs> How did Watch we out know? For this girl. <laughs> that's not true. I don't like trash. I don't like that. I don't like negative talk in general. So I'm not a big trash talker. No. All right. Well, listen, guys, we were witness to a great, great little old football game a few days ago here. <laughs> That meant a lot to the state of Michigan, certainly to the University of Michigan and its fan base. That, of course, being the big game Michigan football played against those wily Washington Huskies who were supposed to throw all over us during the game and go up and down the field without any issue. But uh, there was a little old Michigan defense that showed up, played a great game. And as a result of whether winning or losing, certainly more in the face of winning, but nonetheless, Michigan Being in that game, being in the college football playoff, ending up at the national championship is not only great for the players, the coaches, the fan base, the university, for other reasons, it's also very directly a benefit to the university because of all the big money that'll pour into the University of Michigan as a result of it. Well, Paula Gardner, business editor for Bridge Michigan, published an article just about that very subject matter, Michigan football poised to make millions for the University of Michigan from the championship game. We're going to cover it. We've got Paul on. Guys, you know, you watch a football game. It's interesting. It's stimulating. You root for your team. But going on behind the scenes, lots of money pouring in as a result. Big money. Millions. Actually, the article struck me when I was reading through. I had no idea. I mean, we're talking millions and millions. Lots of zeros. And it does make sense, right? I mean, you pay for your ticket, the school makes money, there's advertising deals, there's endorsements, et cetera. But I don't know why. I never computed in my head that it would be that much money coming into the football program. Right, because the typical fan is not really focused on that primarily. They're focused on rooting for their team and enjoying the experience and being part of it and the pride that goes with it and everything else. But lots of money flowing. And when you win and when you play at the level at which University of Michigan did the other night, winning the national championship, you have money flowing that, I mean, there's money and then there's money. And as you say, we're talking tens and tens of millions of dollars more pouring into the University of Michigan as a result of the game. Well, without further ado, let's get Paula Gardner on here. As I mentioned, she wrote the article in Bridge, Michigan. She's going to cover it for us. Paula, welcome to our show. Give it to us at a high level. Michigan's going to make a little bit of money on the heels of this appearance in the national championship game, aren't they? 
Yeah, it is huge money. And fortunately for Michigan, not only do they make money with their football program, which is pretty rare in college sports, but they stand to reap the rewards of the victory on Monday night. There's just untold dollars spent on college football. The programs operate multi-million dollar budgets. And when I think of all the people I know in the stands in Houston on Monday night, you know, each of them probably paid at least $1,000 for a seat, possibly more. And I think that also shows how people are willing to spend on college sports. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that Michigan is a profitable football program, which is unusual, but certainly welcome for those of us who love the university. They've got about a $50 million budget every year to run this football program. I want to hop in real quick here. Yeah. It should be noted that the majority of the money that comes in is for football specific. I mean, people love college sports, but people really love to spend money on football. They love to spend money. And of course, they, unlike, say, a lacrosse game, which right. is, you know, an important sport to many, you've got X number of people watching a lacrosse game. Right. You've got 110,000 watching a University of Michigan home game and then countless others on national television. And that's where the big money comes from. And of course, it does support the athletic department at large, right? It does, yes. That's one of the reasons the university is so supported by the university. The football team drives so many athletics on that campus, and that is important to many people. Uh, It's important to have women's sports. It's important to have the secondary sports, and it's important to have a marching band. So there are a lot of students who are benefiting from the success of the University of Michigan football team. And so can you frame kind of bottom lining at dollars and cents, you know, what this might mean in terms of money pouring into the University of Michigan as a result of being in the college football playoff? I did not get specific dollars speculated by any of the people I talked to. However, we know that the University of Michigan Alumni Association, for example, generates a lot of money for the university. The alumni network is big. They're willing to support it. And the academics on campus are also very, very strong. But what's going to happen, at least from what I was told, is donations will actually go up, even though they're already high. There's no dollar amount, but it's presumed that people are going to feel so much pride that pride will translate into a yes when they're asked to Mm -hmm. donate money or asked to donate more money. So that's definitely one of the things. The recruiting, both for the teams and just for students on the academic side, that is expected to go up. The kind of the sheen on the team translates into people wanting to be a part of campus. So the students who might be looking at, you know, five Ivies and the University of Michigan and Stanford might give Michigan an edge if they get an offer to come to Ann Arbor. I thought that was interesting. In the article, I actually noted that because it does make perfect sense, right? After a big win or something exciting, I can imagine students want to be part of that. So now enrollment goes up for the next year. That's absolutely right. And Paula, you mentioned the donations from alumni. While we don't know what that's going to amount to for the University of Michigan, we do know that, for example, in 2021, the University of Georgia, when they attended the national championship game and won it, They set a record donation amount of $86 million or so, that according to The Athletic. And that's just the kind of thing that can happen. That, to your point about the University of Michigan donations likely to increase, in that case, 13% increase occurred at the University of Georgia in terms of their donations. Just some benchmarking to kind of get an idea of what the possibilities are for additional capital pouring in. It doesn't just come from the media rights or from the ticket sales. It also comes from things like donation. It also comes from things like merchandise sales, doesn't it? 
It does, yes. And the university, starting, I think, in the David Brandon years when he was athletic director, really got smart about promotions and how to sell the football game off the field. So, for example, they license the MDEN in Ann Arbor, longtime favorite store, family-owned still. They license the rights to sell apparel in the stadium. And then the stadium has done other things, too. You know, all those vendors there, they're paying more to be there. They're presumably selling more and it's worth it to them. So there's a lot of marketing that's going on too. My son just actually sent me a photo of the first game I took him to and his sister. We went as a family because it was a ticket pack day. And that again was in the David Brandon years. But we got to go in to the stadium, see an early September game, get a hot dog and maybe a pack of popcorn or something. But it's like that packaging to try to up interest in the slow games to get people to buy more, to license the rights to be on the premises and sell goods. That's all been driven up over the last few years. Absolutely. You know, I think that there's an old saying that uh, if you get young fans early, you get them for life. And certainly we'll see that play out. That's part of the way the university does generate such interest in attendance at the games, but also beyond that, sales of merchandise. I know that it's going to cost me big time. Three boys in my family, the first thing each of them said to me this morning is, hey, Dad, got to get that University of Michigan cap that says national champions, you know, team 144. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. No doubt money will be pouring into the university as a result of their presence. Paula, in addition to the money flowing to the university, of course, there will be money flowing into the NIL programs direct from corporations potentially to the players through these NIL programs. What is the impact of that? Some of the promotional aspects, I think, will be moving from the team and from the university to the individual students. Companies will be signing with the players as opposed to supporting the team as a whole, possibly. I think it could change some of the balance and make the donations more important. Right. And are you suggesting that some of those donations then flow through the NIL program to the players? I'm saying the athletic department has a certain nut to hit with what they're spending. And if they're getting fewer endorsements, fewer licensing deals, for example, an apparel store could choose to just license with a player and try to reap the rewards of supporting the program through a specific player who's getting the payment as opposed to the university. So the licensing and other promotional money that's now flowing into the university, I think some are expecting it to decrease a little bit as businesses kind of target individual players because it's possible now. Refunneling some of that money that otherwise might go to the university to the players themselves. All right, Paula Gardner, business editor for Bridge Michigan. We appreciate you enlightening us about kind of what's going on behind the scenes from a business standpoint on the heels of the University of Michigan's appearance in the National Football Playoff and certainly on the heels of their big win becoming the national championship team. The University of Michigan has always been successful in bringing money into the program, that great alumni base and everything else, but who knew that it would be to this extent pretty interesting to understand how the money's flowing behind the scenes. Those of us who live here know how great the state of Michigan is, how many great places to visit, And by the way, it's four seasons, you know, beautiful in the fall, beautiful in the summer, beautiful in the winter. Those of us, again, who live here know that many people now beyond the state's borders discovering that and coming and visiting our great state. We're happy about that. Well, there's some obvious places to visit. That's for sure. Places like Mackinac Island getting recognition, other great tourist spots, many others around the state. 
But then there's the hidden gems that may be off the beaten path, places we don't know about. Maybe they don't jump to mind. Maybe you don't even know about them at all. We're going to do a little travel guide here in this segment of the show, Kristen, and feature some of those off the beaten path, hidden places, hidden gems that people need to be aware of and possibly consider as they make their plans, either as part of a travel journey that they may make. And that could be either as a destination or even if you're just passing through. These are good to have on your list, helping us get it all figured out and helping us make our plans. Lindsay Moore just published an article in MLive.com, three Michigan cities to visit, some of which we're going to find out, Kristen, maybe we've visited, maybe you visited, maybe I have, but I'm excited to hear from Lindsay. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Lindsay Moore, you've got the list. We've got the interest. Let's do it. Yeah, for sure. So honestly, it came out of a great conversation with Dave Lorenz, who headed up the Pure Michigan campaign for the last two decades, and he was heading into retirement. And so I felt like, okay, I've got, you know, kind of this huge icon of Michigan right now. Right, all right. He's done an wealth. amazing job. Wow, what an ambassador. Truly, right? And WJR listeners are so lucky that they get to tune into his Travel yep. Michigan show, too, and sure. get some of these tidbits. But I figured, you know, both selfishly and for the readers, I was like, okay, Dave, tell me, like, your three underrated spots, right? Cool. Like, where have I not been? Yeah. And, you know, he delivered immediately. And these were just even in doing some research. There are spots with great history, with, you know, little quaint towns, and also just places that, again, have a, a scenic drive or something you would maybe see in a pure Michigan ad, but because it's not... Detroit or Traverse City or Marquette, you haven't seen it in a pure Michigan ad. And so our readers loved this, and, and I added them to my list right away. Cool. Well, Kristen, yes. are you ready to jump in and I'm get ready. exposed to these my three pencil, hidden gems? I'm ready to go. All right. Let's run down this list of three. Lindsay, why don't you kick off your first highlighted city as three places to travel to in 2024 in the state of Michigan? Yeah. So the first one that, you know, top of mind for Dave, and I can see why is Claire, Michigan, which I'm going to be very Michigan and bear with me, radio listeners, look at your hand and uh. we're going to go right <laughs> under like your, your middle finger knuckle. You know, it's about an hour north of Lansing. And it's this town that really has a lot of quaint history. It's a town of very few people. It's, again, not your big Grand Rapids or Detroit, but they really pride themselves on being a city of local businesses to go in of antique shopping. And they dub themselves the city of festivals. And so you could pretty wow. much catch something in all four seasons, again, in a true mission spirit, right? Coming up, especially in Clare County, I'm really looking forward to in February, they have a golf tournament. Yes, <laughs> the yes. Frostbite what is it? The Festival. Frostbite Festival. Right, Frostbite Festival. Yeah. And I was like, that's embracing winter, right? Like they fully, you know, they have a frozen inland lake. They do nine holes. And then, of course, you have to have a sledding contest and an inner two. Nine holes, by the way, with tennis balls. Yes, with yeah. tennis balls, right? Right. right? right. Just the quirk factor sure. is all over the place. So I'm looking forward to that one. Claire is also really well known, apparently, for its St. Patrick's Day weekend festivities. I didn't know this. You know, skip your drive to Chicago. Just go right to Claire. I'm really, really trying to get over there because I want to see the bed races, which <laughs> like is exactly what it sounds like. Like the only qualifiers, there's four wheels and, you know, people sure. pushing you. Like some of these photos are literally people on mattresses and some of them are more boxcars, but I love the creativity of that. Love that. Kristen, I have to ask, have you been to Claire? You know what? I've probably been through it and I didn't even know. Have you been to Claire? Well, I think I have. And I actually see that there's a town neighboring it called Harrison. 
Mm-hmm. I think I've been, when I was younger, one of my big passions was horse shows and horse showing and so on. I think there was a horse show in Harrison. I think I've been there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yes. there you go. You know, I want to comment on something as you think about these towns. If I said to you, there's a great small town in the state of Michigan, you got to go check it out. There's a Walmart there. There's a Target there. There's a great <laughs> Applebee's there. And of course, there's McDonald's and Burger King. You know, I see in your article that you mentioned that Claire really prides itself on its small businesses. It's unique, locally owned small businesses, merchants, dining establishments, and even flea markets and so on. You know, it just underscores more and more. We know this. We always advocate for shopping small, shopping locally. You can't have a great town if what you can say about the town is go to the Walmart there, really check it out. Or, you know, and then Target's right down the street and dine at Applebee's. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those three establishments, but the uniqueness comes from the locally owned small businesses Mm -hmm. right in the town. And this really underscores that. And you highlight that. Yeah, it's right on their county website, right? It says there are no busy malls or cold department stores here. Ah. Like instead, you know, check out the specialties. I mean, that's perfect marketing on their end to promote and support their small businesses, which that's not easy to do. That's not easy to do, but important to do. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't make Lindsay's list. That's right. (laughs) Or Dave Lorenz, even more to the point. But here's the thing. They also indicate they've got this Claire Antique Mall there, 35 vendors year-round. You can go to these flea markets, craft shows, quilt auctions, and so on. I mean, this is the fabric and the texture that really a makes no us, pun, no yeah. pun intended, yeah. <laughs> it's what makes a small town so unique. I have to tell you, do you guys dig like the idea of maybe going to lunch at a locally owned dining establishment and then going to a flea market afterward and see if you seeing what little treasures you could oh, find? Sure. It's fun. Oh, for sure. It's quintessential Americana. Well said. Yeah. All right, cool. So Claire, Michigan, it's on the list. Okay. Absolutely on the list. And it's not far, relatively speaking. So it's an easy drive. All right. And next, Lindsay. Yes. So next was one that I really had to dig into history, which was fun homework for me. This is the Sock Trail. And so more recent history would call it old US-12. It's really kind of that stretch from Detroit to Chicago. But historically, it's an indigenous trail. And so it has all this rich history about different tribes using it. And then on the, I believe, the Pony Express, we have all these major touch points along the way. And it touches on Detroit's River Rogue as well and some of the indigenous history there. And then right in kind of the middle of this stretch from Detroit to Chicago around Brooklyn, Michigan, is where the Michigan Historical Society has actually like deemed a marker at the Cambridge Junction. And I really went down a rabbit hole on the Cambridge Junction of just how many just not only travelers throughout the years, farmers looking for land, but then also well-known names, names you'd see in history books like Henry and Clara Ford and Michigan's Governor Woodbridge and Woodbridge Ferris. And so that type of stuff, I think if you're a history buff and you want to really dig into your own state's history, this is kind of the stop to put on your list in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Again, now we spoke about Claire and the power of highlighting your locally owned small businesses and all the rest. Here in this case, Another thing that makes a small town so interesting is the history, the historical character and background of a given small town, say, for example. And this is the case when it comes to you highlighting the Sauk Trail. And by the way, that's S-A-U-K, Sauk Trail. How interesting. And again, I don't know about you guys. I didn't know about this. I did not know. I have, however, been to Brooklyn, Michigan. Mm. I did a, a muddy race there oh, one that's, time. Ooh. I didn't know. Who knew that you did those? It was called the Muddy Buddy. Oh, I did it with my kids. 
How you took your kids to do a muddy race? I sure did. How fun! I sure did. Yeah. So I've been to Brooklyn, Michigan, but I didn't know anything about the Sock Trail. So, wow, very cool. All right, so that's a second great recommendation. Nice find, Lindsay. Number three. So number three, we're going all the way up to the UP, like into, again, we're going to use the hand, like tip of your index finger, UP. (laughs) So we're up into Paradise, which is along Lake Superior. And so, you know, I started this portion of the article saying, you know, what's in a name? Like, obviously somebody had the foresight to say, to call it Paradise. Paradise." Right. Right. (laughs) Right? right. I mean, to be surrounded by the Great Lakes. And again, some really interesting history. Part of what really developed this area after it had a huge forest fire totally took out the logging industry that would have been prominent there like much of the UP instead all of that you know those fires left acidic soil that really nurtured crops for blueberries and so they have a huge wild blueberry festival mm. in August so that's gone on my calendar for sure because I am lucky enough to head over to South Haven's blueberry festival but I would love to see one on Lake Superior I think that's a totally different viewpoint and also goes to show you just like we've talked before about Michigan's ag history and it's you know, presence there. And I think that's so cool to think all the way up to Lake Superior, we have something like that. And then people will probably know Paradise more so for Tequamina Falls and for the national forest there. And so it's just an outdoorsman's paradise. So, you know, you have hiking, you have kayaking, you have snowmobiling. And so it's just one thing after another if you're looking to get outside in Michigan. Well, and for me, I mean, I'm a boater. I love the Great Lakes. For me, the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum is there right? And that's another Ah. thing that you can enjoy and get to experience while you're there. I have been to Paradise. (laughs) How about that? I've been to Paradise. That sounds like the name of a good song. Yeah. (laughs) I've been to Paradise. (laughs) Yeah. But it's a great place to visit, more to the point. I remember going up there and I remember staying in a bed and breakfast there. It was in the winter. Mm. And I saw Lake Superior in the winter with big ice chunks that were broken, but on the lake. And the waves, I remember one day were Ah, it must have been 10 feet rolling. And it was so powerful, so magnificent, so kind of otherworldly. You just don't see something like that. People who've not been to the Upper Peninsula or seen or experienced Lake Superior have no idea how incredibly powerful and really, the word gets overused, but in this case, it's probably just kind of awesome Lake Superior <laughs> is. So to get to experience all of that up there, it's a beautiful part of the world. Well, I think powerful is a great word for it too, because yeah. I was the stat that I was most surprised from the shipwreck museum is to learn that there's 200 shipwrecks just oh, surrounding that area and just really like taking in the force of mother nature on that. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Great list. Lindsay Moore, as always, great job. We so appreciate you being on. Big shout out to Dave Lorenz. Thank you for all you've done for us here in the state of Michigan to make people aware and to bring commerce to the state and to be able to enjoy all the great places in the state of Michigan, some off the beaten path, which you, thankfully, Lindsay, have highlighted for us. And uh, anybody wanting to check that out can go to MLive.com. Three Michigan cities to visit in 2024. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Kristen, so you've got to pick from one of the three. Where are you headed to first? Uh, Paradise. Ah, Of course. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who who doesn't want to go to Paradise? Kristen, just to remind you, you're in Paradise right now. Oh, that's right. right. Every day at this office. Every day at this office is Paradise. You better believe it. How about you, Lindsay? Where are you headed? 
You know what? I think Claire is my first stop yeah. because I've seen the highway sign for it over and over, and now yep. it's going to make me pull off on that exit. So funny. I've seen the sign for Claire as well. I've been curious about it. I think there's a famous donut shop in Claire. There oh, was. now like I'm pl- going to the, Claire. Right. There oh, you go. Oh, you sold me. Now I'm going to Claire. I remember there might be a donut shop in Claire owned by a couple of policemen. All right. Listen, thanks, guys. I'm headed to Claire as well. I'll see you there at the donut shop. All right, closing out our show today in the few minutes we have left, I wanted to take a moment to address one of the greatest relationships anybody could ever have. Now, I'm not talking about a marriage or a best friend or anything else. I'm talking about the relationship that humans have with dogs, their pet dogs. Kristen, you have dogs. I do. Yeah. You do too. Yes, we have two at our house. I've always had in my whole life dogs. Mm-hmm. Mark, you a dog owner? I need a dog. You I had a dog. Okay. But I well, need a new one. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. If you're wondering about whether or not you quote unquote need one, you do. And now science proves it. There's now science that absolutely proves that the relationship with a human being and his or her dog is one that delivers a lot of value and benefit scientifically in the form of stress release, in the form of pride, in the form of feeling love and taking care of something and presenting back. In effect, the appreciation that dogs show every time you walk in that door, how good does it make you feel when you're welcomed home? You know, I go home from work. Mm -hmm. My dog has figured out almost to the exact time, Mm -hmm. what time to start watching for my car. Yeah. To pull in, and then I pull in, I look at the door, my dog's face, I have golden retriever, mm-hmm. my dog's face is in the door, and I walk in that door, and boy, do I get some love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they sense your car coming down the road. I'm convinced. It's really, I don't it. know if they have mm-hmm. some kind of clock or what it is, but here's the point. The point is that if anybody out there listening needs to be convinced, pick up a book called The Purest Bond, Understanding the Human-Canine Connection. It was written by Jen Goldback. She also, by the way, has golden retrievers. Those are special dogs. She's known as a dog mom. She's a uh, computer scientist at the University of Maryland. But among other things, I think first and foremost, she'd probably tell you something she's most focused on is she's a dog mom. Dog mom to her golden retrievers. And she's written this book. She did it with science writer Stacy Colino and uh, delves into the science of how human beings relate to their four-legged furry pals and the many ways they improve our lives. Well, you had mentioned, Jeff, about the emotional support that dogs provide, but they also provide physical support. I mean, you have to walk the dog. You have Mm -hmm. to throw the ball to the dog. Right. You know, you get down on the floor, you're wild, and you roll around with your dog. And there's also, we do a podcast here in our studio with leader dogs, Right, I mean, they dogs provide, for the blind. Yeah, yeah, leader dogs for the blind. They provide all kinds of physical support to for their sure. human companion. Yeah. yeah, So it goes hand in hand, that bond. It absolutely does. It's a, I think you call it a win-win. Yep. The dog wins with all the love we show our dogs and everything else. And of course, the human beings who are the owners of these dogs win as well for the reasons we stated. And again, now science proves it to be the case that owning a dog Interacting with a dog is actually something very good for you. Stress relief and all the rest. Actually, we became aware of the book. It was highlighted in Scientific American, that highlight by Andrea Thompson and Ela Fetter. And they do highlight the book and they tell a story. They call out certain excerpts from the book. One of their favorites and certainly one I can relate to is a moment when the author describes 
how she copes with tough days and stress by laying on the floor and, as she puts it, being consumed, being enveloped in a cloud of golden retrievers, licking and lying on top of you. Sounds like heaven. Hey, Jeff, have you seen there's now puppy yoga? So you can go to yoga class and they have little puppies wandering around the classroom and like, you know, while you're doing your downward dog, they're doing their downward dog also. It's so so cute. cute. We probably all have our favorite stories with our dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? I have doodles. Doodles, yeah, those mm-hmm. are cute dogs. I, I, it's the COVID doodle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we right. got sucked into the lure of having dogs during COVID, and why not get two? So we why got not get two. We, we got two at the same time. The house, right? Yeah. Mark, you're thinking of getting a dog. Have you thought at all about a breed or whether a mutt, uh, you know, would be better? Or you know, what what are you thinking about? A rescue dog. A rescue would dog. Be yeah. A doodle of some sort. Yeah, rescue dog. That's a great. Boy, I'll tell you, you talk about a win-win. That makes it a win-win-win. Oh, my gosh. Getting a rescue dog. And many people do say, I did read an article recently about the fact that many believe that a mutt, quote-unquote, a mixed breed, as opposed to, as the article put it, designer dogs, those that are part of a breed, registered in a breed, make better dogs. In some cases, they're smarter. They're, uh, you know, just better all around, right? as the article put it. If anybody has a, a dog for sale or a rescue, you should <laughs> put it on our uh, social feed, put it on Facebook, and I'll make sure Mark sees it. Mark sees it and happy to push it out to others as well. That's good. That's a great, I love that. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. a great thought. All right. Well, Mark, we're going to keep tabs on you. We know when the dog will have arrived when you walk in here all aglow. Yeah. Beaming with a smile. And you typically wear black. And when your shirt is covered, covered in dog, in dog hair. hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's another topic. Uh, it's another topic. Respect. Get the uh, the tape. The yeah, roller. the lint roller. The lint roller. I'll, I'll You'll be fine. Or a hairless some. dog. Or get well. Get the lint roller. Yeah, get the lint roller. Get the lint roller. All right, guys. Listen. Hey, have a great weekend. Good to do the show with you guys. As always, uh, love being with you and bringing good content to our audience. And let's go out and make it a great weekend. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Go Michigan.